Now look there in your notes under the Mosaic Covenant. Conditional stipulations for blessing on Israel. This is not on how to go to heaven. But the Word of God in giving us this covenant of law lets us see that if man cannot even keep these laws, there was no law given by which if you kept it, you would have eternal life. That's found in the book of um, Galatians in chapter 3. For if there had been a law given that could have given life, barely righteousness should have been by the law. But nobody's ever kept the law. So for 1,500 years, God showed that man, no man, can live good enough to keep all of God's law. What it does is shows you that the reason God made that promise to Abraham in another covenant, Abrahamic covenant, was that he would justify a man by faith alone. And he promised that's what he would do. The law proved that man cannot save himself because God made it conditional. You do this, I'll do this. So the law was something you had to perform. So today, it is a shame and a disgrace for people to try to think for a moment such arrogancy that they can earn their way to heaven by keeping the law. When God gave a whole nation an opportunity for 1,500 years and they couldn't do it. Do you think you're going to keep that law perfectly? And if you fail, what are you offering as a sacrifice? Forget Christ. You don't want him. All right, then where's your sacrifice for your failures? What is that innocent animal that's been sacrificed to cover for your sins? Aren't you glad we're not under the law? That covenant was broken. There needed to be something better. So there has to be something better. Now, you'll notice in your notes right there, he says in verse number one, Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure. You'll be a treasure. Number two, ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But see, they blew all of this. They didn't do what God says do. And so God has had to chasten them. Kick them out of the land for 2,000 years. And now they're back in the land, but in unbelief. They're not right with the Lord. But one day, it will take place. Now, the next verse I have there, number three. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? You see, there were people who were trying to take the new believers in Christ and put them under the law and this was in the first century there of Christ. Christ has done gone to heaven. And right off the bat, people were trying to put the new believers under the law. And so he says, why are we trying to put a yoke of iron upon their neck, which we were not even able to keep? The Jews didn't keep them. Why are we trying to make Gentiles try to keep the law when nobody could keep it? We failed. So nobody has ever lived good enough to earn eternal life. Number four. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Nobody's ever been saved any other way than through grace and grace alone. But now notice there's something else. Down at the bottom, the Davidic covenant. An unconditional promise of an eternal political rule of a descendant of David to reign upon the throne of Israel. So turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel and chapter 7. 2 Samuel. Now this is what God did. And he made a promise to David. 
wasn't anything that David had to do to make this thing happen. It's just this is what God said he was going to do. You say, why is that important? It didn't matter. David committed adultery. David committed murder. And it could not and did not change the unconditional covenant that God had made. When it's two-party, then everything can change. But if it's based upon what God says, it cannot be broken except only by God. Now, notice what he makes the statement here in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look there in verse 10. And notice these words, I will, I will, I will, I will. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time. In other words, God says, I got a plan. And in the future, he says, Israel is going to have its own place and nobody's going to bother them anymore. Well, evidently, that hasn't been the case for the last 3,000 years because it's been 2,000 years since Christ. And David's about 1,000 years before Christ. 3,000 years has passed. But God made a promise. But he made it according to his own will. Look what he says. He says in verse 11, And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. And when thy days are fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. In other words, that's a nice way of telling David, you're going to die. He says, and you ought to underline this, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. And you ought to underline that little statement. Forever. God said, this is what I am going to do. He shall build a house for my name. So we're not talking about just up until... Um, Solomon, which was the very next person in line. This is going beyond Solomon. Because Christ says in the book of Acts, when he comes back, he said, I will set up and I will build my kingdom. Christ is going to do that. And he's going to sit on the throne. And he's going to rule and reign for a week. A year? How long? Forever. And that's why he is called the son of David. He's from David's loins. Now get what he says here. In verse 13, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Get this little word. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. Now there's a lot of people that will rule and reign in between and all the way up and so forth. But I believe there's more here than meets the eye. In verse 5, but my mercy shall not depart from him. In other words, God is basing everything upon his promise, his covenant, his will. And if the person, the king, if he does wrong, it will not annul my covenant. What I'm promising, what's going to take place, is not based upon his performance. So even if the Son of God would do something wrong, God says, I'm not changing my goal. My will will be performed. 
You help people all the time saying this. You can't tell me you can trust Christ as your Savior and then live like you please and still go to heaven when you die. You don't understand the covenant of God. You don't understand the will of God. You don't understand what God promised. You think it was a deal between you and him. God, if you save me, I promise I'll live good. Okay, when you don't live good, then God can take away his promise and you don't have eternal life anymore. That's not what he said. That's not what he did. Now, there are things in the Bible where God says, yes, this is conditional. It's based upon your performance. But our salvation that's been given to us is not based upon our performance. It's based upon a covenant that God made with himself when there was nobody else. He couldn't promise any higher. And God that cannot lie gave us his word. And the New Testament, the new covenant, is an everlasting covenant. But it was based upon not the blood of bulls and goats, but upon the Son, Jesus Christ. The one that's going to be born into this world. The one that's coming through the line of David. Now look what he says here in verse 16. He says, And thy house and thy kingdom shall be established for how long? Forever. Before thee. Well, what about if they do something wrong? It's not going to change the plan. Thy throne shall be established for how long? Forever. Look in verse 18. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord, and he says, uh, I got a problem. Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? In other words, I, I, like, I'm understanding what you're saying, but who am I to have such a great promise made for me? I mean, who am I? Because that was God's choice. That was God's decision. Now get this. And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God. But thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house, and you ought to underline it, for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? What kind of a man is this that can sit on the throne and live forever? Good questions, isn't it? And verse 20, And what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart, hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. In other words, you're letting me know what you're going to do. Verse 23, And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself. Look at verse 24. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee for how long? Until America comes. And then we're not going back to Israel. We're going to head over here. You don't go changing the word of God. And God have pity on people who don't believe what God's word says. He says, to be a people unto thee forever, and thou, Lord, art become their God. Now, God is going to do what he says do. But there's these blessings that God had promised. You see there in verse 29, Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant. And the last three words, blessed forever. See, God made a promise to Abraham. And then he established certain covenants. And these covenants that are based upon God's word and God alone. The only one who can change those is the Lord. But whenever you have a covenant made between the two of you, you can break the covenant, which Israel did. But that wasn't for eternal life. 
That was for national blessings that they could have had. But the promises that God made is for a great while to come. And it ain't over till it's over. And it ain't over yet. Now look on the back page. The promise of a new unconditional covenant. Look there in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, and look in verse 31. There's several verses here that we will look at. But in verse 31, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. In other words, the Mosaic law covenant that we made on Mount Sinai when I brought them out of Egypt, he says, they broke that covenant. But I got another one. In verse 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward part write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them, unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. So there is a day coming when God said, I'm going to forgive them of their iniquities, and so forth, and I will remember their sin no more. That's down in the next verse. And God has made all these promises about what He's going to do. But this is the Covenant of a new birth they will have without that sinful nature. There's a time coming when a man will have the new birth. See, they had been, they've been saved before this. But to be only on the earth without a old nature, what God is going to do, and everybody is going to know the Lord and love the Lord and serve the Lord with all their heart. So, But this is a reference to a new birth. But this new birth, this new covenant... It has to be signed, sealed, in blood. It demands a blood covenant. So how is this going to take place? And I'm glad you asked. Now, you'll notice in your notes there, this little statement. In the middle of the page, this is based upon grace. Faith alone in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to make a payment for all the sins of the world. And this new covenant is going to last forever. But it's, it's not having anything to do with man's performance. So it's not based upon you fulfilling obligations. You living according to the law. You having to put your part into it to maintain it. No, this is one that's based upon his word and what he did. Now... In the middle of the next line, grace is based upon the work of Christ. See, grace means that it's free. But God can't just give it to us for free because we were in debt. The Lord had to pay our debt so we could be free from the debt so that he could give us eternal life and go to heaven. We're all in debt because we have all sinned. But Jesus Christ came into the world, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the demands of the law, and paid our sin debt. Came back from the dead. And because he did that with his own blood. It means that he passed between the blood. 
And you and I are supposed to just accept what he's done for us. It's not based upon us performing anything for the rest of our life and trying to keep and maintain by faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. Now, look at the next statement. The reason that salvation is by grace is so that it can be sure and that it can be secure. You can be sure to have it and sure to keep it. See, a lot of people think you can get it, but you can lose it. No. It's sure you can have it. And it is secure. You can't lose it. It's based upon the covenant that he made and not one that we make. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter 8. Hebrews in chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And you'll notice that um, there's a couple of verses here that's got an awful lot to say. Very good, very clear. Look in verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. See, under the Mosaic law, the law is you do it. And if you don't perform, then you're going to be taken out of the land. Uh, you're not going to have the blessings based upon works. So there has to be something better for people because the law cannot give life. It can only condemn. Everybody doesn't keep it perfectly. So the Lord gave us a better way than a man trying to earn something he can never accomplish. The law proved the point nobody can ever live according to the righteousness of God. You'll never be good enough to earn your way to heaven. But there's a better way. What if Jesus Christ was able to pay for your sin debt and give it to you for free? That's called grace. And grace is based upon what Christ did. He's the basis of it. You take away Christ, there is no salvation. There is no grace. There is nothing. You can have your law, but you don't have grace. You have no salvation. Now look what he says in this verse. He says, a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. And then he says there in verse 7, For if that first covenant, wasn't talking about Moses, was faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. The first covenant was works. Produce. Can you produce that righteous life? No, you never have. And never will. So there needed to be something better. And this is based upon what God wants. So without requiring you to have any part in it, he will make it free. Now, some people say, well, when you accept Christ as your Savior, see, there, you had to do something. You know, he provided it. And if you accept it, but there's no performance, no works that you have to perform. And God does not consider you accepting him as your Savior. That is not a work. It is a free gift. So once you trust Christ as your Savior, you have as a free gift everlasting life. And he said, he said, God, I'll never cast you out. I'll never lose you. Because when Christ died, he paid for all the sins of all the world. And the only thing you had to do was accept it. Believe it. You can't add anything else to it. It's free. It's the gift. Look also at this verse. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. 
I remember at Florida Bible College, whenever class was over with Dr. Mark Cameron, he always prayed, but it seemed like he was always praying this portion of Scripture. In verse 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood, and here's those two words, you ought to underline them in your Bible, everlasting covenant. In other words, if God saves you by grace, his covenant was to give you eternal life for how long? It's an everlasting covenant. It can never be broken. You can't break the covenant. You can't go out here and commit some sins and not make it. That's why when God made the promise about what he's going to do with Israel, even though David committed adultery and David committed murder, God still kept his covenant. And Jesus Christ still came a thousand years later. And it's been 2,000 years since then. And what God promised, God is going to perform. So it's called an everlasting covenant. Now, when you read the book of Romans in chapter 10, he says, I have a great desire and burden for Israel that they might be saved. He says, for I bear them record. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God or the righteousness of Christ. And then he says in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law. For what? For righteousness. To everyone that believeth. And whenever you trust Christ as your Savior, there's only one kind of salvation that God can give to you. And that is eternal salvation. He doesn't give it to you. And see, most people who think it's on probation, that's because they believe it was a, a deal you made with God. God didn't make any deals. He only said, this is eternal life, and it's free, and it lasts forever, and it's not based upon your works. Not by works. That means you have no part in it to play. It's the gift of God. And if you could lose your salvation, how? That's not in the covenant. So that's why when we have the Lord's Supper, and we're always talking about the blood of Christ and the body and so forth, this is to keep in mind God made with us an everlasting covenant that based upon the blood of Jesus Christ, he gives to us by grace eternal life, and it lasts forever. And this is, as we go through life, this is a testament that we believe that we have eternal security based upon the work of Christ that produces salvation by grace. See, that's the only kind of an agreement he made. And he made it with himself. He purposed this himself. And there is no other salvation. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you're saved forever. There is no other kind of salvation based upon the promise of God. I hope that y'all understand that. Turn very quickly to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And notice what he says here. In verse 24 he says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. We have this everlasting life based upon an everlasting covenant because of the promise that God made. 
Not something that we made. It wasn't a deal between him and him. I promise that I'm going to give up my sins and I promise that I'm going to live. No, then I could break the covenant. This can't be broken. Can't be broken. And then he says there in verse 25, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the new testament or the new covenant in my blood. So this is why we do this. Not because we have to, but because this is a remembrance. Remembering the covenant that God made. It's a new birth based upon grace and not upon works. And it'll never end. Look up here very quickly. This is you and me. This is sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. He hates our sin because it separates us from the Lord. And the wages of sin is death in a literal fire burning hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. And you have to be perfect to go to heaven. None of us are perfect. So God says you cannot earn eternal life. You say, how do I know I can't earn eternal life? So he gave the covenant of law. Can you keep it? You mess up one time, dead meat. Wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. We've all broken it. So lo and behold, here comes Christ. God in the flesh. Had no sin, didn't have to die. So what was the agreement that God had? After the counsel of his own will, he loved us, sent his son to pay for all of our sins. Came back from the dead and said, all that we had to do is believe he did it for us. There's nothing that I have to do. No works, no keeping the law, nothing. And if I mess up and I sin today or tomorrow or the next day, cannot annul the promise that he made. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can know that you're going to heaven because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Let's Pray, shall we? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you right now the best you know how? Just put your confidence, your trust in the Lord and say, I don't understand it all, but I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that Christ died. I believe he died for me. And I'm going to trust him as my Savior right now. Friend, if you'll trust him right now, God is obligated. He's given his word to save whosoever believe it. If you'll believe it, he'll give you eternal life and you can know that you're going to heaven whenever you die. Is there anyone at all before we close? Say, yes, that made sense to me, and I'll trust Christ as my Savior right now. Friend, would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is there anyone at all? Anyone at all? Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for this time together. We ask your blessings upon the things that have been said and pray for clarity of mind that people will understand that this is a very important Lord's Supper that we have. And to remember who you are and what you promised. And by giving your life, you didn't ask us to give ours. You did it so that we wouldn't have to die to spend an eternity separated from you. We ask now your blessings upon this time in Christ's name. Amen.